Well, Laura is in uh, Dallas this weekend uh, for a minister's wives retreat, and so um, I've been on my own with the kiddos, so running back there to make sure Annabeth is okay, and then coming in here, so, uh, but it's been a good weekend for her to get together with, with other wives of ministers and spend some time uh, just relaxing and uh, refreshing and refocusing. So I just ask that you pray for her uh, as they kind of wrap up their retreat time today and head back tomorrow. We are in this series going through the book of Acts, and there have been some incredible episodes. We have seen God moving through the Spirit in, in powerful and mighty ways as this new community is being formed around the resurrection of Jesus. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, spending time looking at the story here as we get into this episode that's between episodes in a way. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke continues to give us these references, these messages, these, these little summary statements that, that, that remind us that the church is growing, that the church is successful, that the church is healthy, that it's expanding. And we see this over and over and over. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Explosive growth just in one day. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we've got the big days and then the some every day. In Acts chapter 4, it says, but, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000, continuing to grow. In Acts chapter 5, we have nevertheless more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. In Acts chapter 9, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and, and were strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Acts chapter 13, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts chapter 16, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Acts chapter 19, in this in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So over and over and over, we have these little check-ins that say the church is growing. God is adding to their number. The community is increasing. And these are important details that Luke gives us to give a picture of, of what the church is. And it's good for us to know this. It's good for us to see that the, the church is growing because as we talked about in the very introduction of this series, we are a part of this same story. That Jesus is, a, is, is continuing to be at work in us and among us. The Spirit is continuing to move through us. And the Lord continues to add daily to those who believe. Luke tells us of the victories, of the successes of the church, because we're part of that story, and we share in these successes and in these victories. This is the ongoing work of Jesus that we see in, in Acts 1.1, and it's the result of the power of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts 1.8. But even with all of these 
successes and even with all of these little check-ins saying that, that God continues to build, God continues to grow, God continues to add. Even with these, we have interspersed less than ideal situations. These episodes, these images that are far from perfect. As we look at the story of the church in Acts, we think of it as this utopian description of what the church is and what we should aspire to be. And, and yes, there are examples of, of how we should be as a church, but interspersed, there's also these challenging moments as well. Last week, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira dropping dead at the feet of the apostles because they were deceitful about their physical possessions. Not a great episode. Not a great image of perfection. And there's many of these throughout Acts. In Acts chapter 8, there's this, this power-hungry Simon the magician. In Acts chapter 13, we have this fearful and retreating John Mark. In Acts chapter 18, we have this confused Apollos. In Acts chapter 19, we have professing Christians in Ephesus who were concealing their use of black magic. This church has got a bit of dysfunction in it. It's not all perfect. It's not all ideal. Yes, the Spirit is on the move, but their church, just like our church, is full of people. And people come with baggage. And people make mistakes. And people, as much as they try to be unified, and as much as the Spirit works at bringing the church into a unified body, we still can become divisive. And so our story today is one of these episodes where things are not going as well as we think they should. And so let's read in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are, who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. and They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of the Lord spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so here's our episode for today. A little bit of business, a little bit of, of housekeeping going on here. As we look at this new forming community, they start to see that something is 
not working correctly. The book of Acts tells us ten times that the Christian movement was growing, and we have two of those times right here in this passage, both at the beginning and at the end. Thousands are being added to the community in spurts. Some are being added daily. And Luke is celebrating the growth of the church, that this is a good thing. But then we have this episode that gives us a picture into some of the more problematic things that happen within church. Someone's being neglected. Somebody doesn't have their needs met. Somebody is missing the mark. And so it gives us a picture of the growth of the church, but it also gives us this picture of some of the threats that can confront the church. Threats that can get in the way of the church's mission. It begins with a reference to growth in verse 1. In these days, the disciple, uh, in these days when the disciples were increasing. And then again in verse 7, it says, The word of God increased in the number of, increased the number of disciples, multiplying greatly. So we've got again this reference to growth. That things are good. Things are healthy. The community is expanding. But sandwiched in between these two, we have this picture, these statements of threats to the church. And we've got two threats that are here. The first is this conflict between the Hellenists, which are Greek-speaking Jews, and the Hebrews, the Aramaic-speaking Jews. We've got these two different groups that are divided by language, and one of them is being neglected. Specifically, the widows within their group are being neglected. Now, when we were looking at Acts chapter 4, we saw this beautiful description of the church where where all the possessions came together and and no one had need. That people sold property and they they brought it to the apostles' feet and, and they distributed to those in need. And in this culture, a widow was, was one that was in greatest need. She had no ability to provide for herself. She had no social security check, no government funding, no assistance. A widow was completely dependent on her family to provide for her. And if she lacked a family... She had no one to provide for her. And so we have the widows of the congregation who are in desperate need. They have nothing, completely dependent on the charity of others. And there's this segment of widows that are being neglected, that are being ignored. And it's this division across ethnic lines. We've got the Greek-speaking, Aramaic-speaking, And somewhere in the division of this, one group has been marginalized and excluded. And so the Greek-speaking Christians come and say, this is not equitable. There are ones with needs that are not being cared for. And so this conflict arises. And as we look at the description of of the, the fellowship of believers use of possessions and view of possessions and caring for one another and, and taking care of those with, in greatest need, that was an incredible witness to who they were as a church. 
The community looked favorably upon them because of how they handled their possessions, because of how they handled and cared for the poor among them. And so now we have this threat to the reputation of the church. Not only do we have these widows that are not getting their needs met, but we're also threatening the reputation of the church and the community because they're not living up to the standard that was set before them. Their reputation is at stake. And so this is a threat to the community here. There's some sort of cultural and ethnic tension that is going on between these two groups. At very least, it's just a division of language. Language can be such a divider. When you don't understand one another, we have enough people in this community, this neighborhood, this city, this state, that don't have English as a first language, to understand a little bit what it's like to have these separations around language. We talked several weeks ago about the day of Pentecost where everybody was speaking in their native languages and how incredibly powerful it is to hear in your own language. Language is deeply rooted in our hearts. And when those things are deeply rooted in us, they can become incredibly divisive when they're highlighted as different. And so we have this division in the church around these languages, around these ethnic culture differences. And they say something has got to change. So that's the first threat. But the second threat to the church is one that is, is a little bit more deeply into the story. This is a threat that will happen if the first threat is not handled appropriately. If we can't handle this threat of, of the Hellenistic widows being excluded, if we can't handle that appropriately, then there's going to be a domino effect to this second threat. The apostles say that it is not right that we should give up the ministry of the word. So here this group comes to the apostles and say, we see this problem. And the apostles say, we have a higher link. We have a calling to prayer. We have a call to the, the ministry of the word. And yes, the care of the widows is critically important. But we cannot give up our calling for that. And so we have to find a solution because it's important. And so they present this solution to the people. At first, it sounds defensive, like, like it's not my job. I'm not going to take care of that. We've got more important things to do. But in reality, the apostles are trying to protect what is of first importance. And so this is the second threat. It's the, it's the, the threat that those called to the ministry of the word would leave that calling for other tasks, for other responsibilities, important tasks, critical tasks, but other tasks. And now we see the link between the threat of leaving the word of God in verse 2 and the statement in verse 7 that says the word of God continues to spread. That the apostles are protecting this call to the word of God. 
And the word of God kept spreading and bearing fruit because the apostles did not make the mistake of leaving their focus on the word to fix a pressing problem. And so there's this major threat to the church. And the major threat is whatever threatens the ministry of the word. And so now they have these two threats to contend with. In and of itself, it, it, it would have been good for the apostles to serve others, to, to go to the, the task of serving tables, getting involved in the, the nitty-gritty of caring for these widows' physical needs. James, who was Jesus' brother, said in James chapter 2, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. These are important responsibilities for the church, to care for one another. We've been talking about the importance of community and caring for one another. This is a critical task. And so the apostles are not brushing it aside, saying that it is less important. It would have been a good thing in and of itself for the apostles to do this ministry. But it would have been a mistake for this newly growing, newly forming community to neglect the word of God in this way. And so there were two parts to this threat. There's the threat to the widows not being taken care of and the divisiveness that is happening around this situation, but also a danger in having this short-sighted view that would have distracted the apostles from the ministry of the Word of God. And so they come up with a solution. How do they overcome these threats? And it's a fairly simple solution, but if you have any experience with leadership, it's not so easy to implement, because their solution is simply delegation. Delegation. If you've been in a management position, if you've been in a leadership position, this idea of delegating to others, it's a bit challenging. Releasing this control to others... But they appoint seven leaders. Now, these leaders that they list off all have Greek names, which means they're likely part of this Hellenistic group that have brought the complaint in the first place. And so they are brought in to be a part of the solution, brought in to, to bringing what is needed for the community. The members that were being excluded, the members that were being neglected, removed in some way, they're brought in to participate in this. And apparently this worked. That these seven were able to, to solve this problem. That they were able to provide for the needs of the widows. And that the ministry of the word was not forsaken. Both were important, both crucial to the community. 
And either one of these not happening would have undermined the witness of the church. Both were critical. Now this story sounds a bit mundane, a bit average, compared to some of the earth-shaking, wind-blowing, fire-descending kind of stories that we've been in. But this story gives us this glimpse into the nitty-gritty of the church, the reality of, of what it means to bring a people together, where divisiveness can separate people, languages, socioeconomic backgrounds, gender, religious heritage, all of these things can come in and undermine the witness of the church. Undermine our witness into the neighborhood and into our community. And we have to be able to handle these conflicts in ways that bring unity, but also help us focus on the Word of God. Now, I don't see in this passage a prescriptive definition of ordained ministry. I don't see in this passage a, 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 a definition of the office of deacon or anything like that, although those interpretations have jumped from this passage. This is an illustration of a need that wasn't being met and the church coming together to meet that need. And so what are the things in our community, our church family here, that could damage or threaten our witness in the community? This is a constant discernment process that we go through. And this church will go through different seasons and has gone through different seasons where maybe a certain demographic's voice was not being heard. And so we addressed the issue of gender. Now we're, we're struggling with what does it mean to, to be a part of a neighborhood that is increasingly diverse. How do we really include those who are different in our family? not simply handing things out to them, not simply giving things away or providing a free meal, but really embracing people into the family. These are things that we're wrestling with. And we'll continue to wrestle with different issues as the culture changes, as the demographics change, as the neighborhood changes. And we will continue to try to answer the question, what does it mean to bear witness in this community, in this neighborhood, in this city? I want to take this opportunity just to talk a little bit about our ministry structure. Because so much of this has already happening and been established in a lot of different ways. 
And I think oftentimes it's easy for us just to come in on a Sunday morning and not see all the pieces that come together for this body to work, for this family to work. And so I don't think that this passage is giving us an office of deacon. And, and one of the questions came up at one of our recent new member orientations is uh, how many deacons do we have? And we don't have deacons here. We don't have that office of deacons, but we do have ministry leaders. And so I want to highlight these ministry leaders so we can see who the leaders are that are caring for these different areas of ministry. Because we have important areas of ministry that cannot be neglected. And these are people who have stepped up into leadership in these over the years. Some of them have been serving for decades. Some of them have been serving just for maybe a couple weeks in these different roles. And I just want to highlight for you so you have an idea. As we look at the leadership structure of our church, we've got our elders, our shepherds, who provide leadership and oversight who work under the authority of Jesus to, to provide direction and guidance. They're not there to do everything for us. And so our shepherds are Troy and Mandy Greer, Lee and Donna O'Rear, Bruce and Cindy Burnham, Phil and Molly Cheese, Jeeves, sorry, and, and Jason and Kathy Vargas. I'm deaf from the Tesla coil, so I can't pronounce it. Yeah. Can we have our shepherds stand? Please, let's recognize them for the work they do. These men and women work very hard to provide leadership for this church, to protect this church, to protect this flock. And they, they have the type of job where there is an infinite list of things that they could be doing and an infinite list of things that are expected of them. But as we see the apostles in, in Acts chapter 6 saying things have to be delegated, they have to delegate as well. And so we have a variety of different ministry leaders that take on different roles and responsibilities to help the ministry happen here from a day-to-day -day standpoint. Our worship ministry is led by Laura. Our prayer ministry is led by Carlene Patterson. Our guest services ministry is led by Kim Fusselman. Our Sunday servers that help get our communion trays to the right places, that, that help make sure we have counts and that our, our foyer is secure and, and people are in their place, Joe Statsula is leading that ministry. We have life group leaders who are really on the front lines of ministry. So much of the care for one another is happening in life groups. And so we have Matt and Belinda Jones and Dave and Chris Jenkins and Lee and Tricia Smith and Lee and Donna O'Rear, Mark and Jamie Smith, David and Peggy Lee, Doug and Nancy Salyer, Ted and Jimmy Royball, Bruce and Cindy Burnham, Bill and Donna Estes, Troy and Mandy Greer and Lila Earwood, all leading life groups, which is not an insignificant task. We've got our adult education led by Karen Jones. We've got our women's Bible study led by DeEsta and by Tricia Smith and Chris Jenkins. We've got our children's ministry team that's led by Lila, who also have Molly Cheeves and Mandy Greer and Nancy Finley and Jamin Medina all serving in significant leadership roles in those ministries as well. 
Our student ministry is led by Tisha Randall. Our Young at Heart ministry is led by Paul and Esther Ward. Our Mills ministry is led by Kathy Vargas. Our Next Vision Campus Redevelopment team is led by Mike Jones and Jeff Sharp. We have Building and Grounds, which, oh my goodness, that's just a headache, led by Doug Salyer and Eduardo and Jamie. We've got communication that's helping us all stay informed, led by Dave Jenkins, and volunteer teams being formed underneath that. We have annual events like the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, led by Steve Fusselman. We've got our Wednesday night meal, led by Kathy and Laura Lee. And Laura Lee is resigning at the end of this year after 14 years. We have new Wednesday night workshops that Anita Miller is coordinating. We have a new partnership with Comanche Elementary School through, school sh through Shine School Partners, led by Chris Jenkins and Lorianne Gutierrez. We've got our outreach ministry trying to figure out how to go into our neighborhood, led by Anita Miller, and trying to get Corey involved in that as well. We've got our benevolence ministry, led by Jamie, who manages our help chest and our food pantry and family promise. We also have other ministries that we support, that we have representation on. So we work with Albuquerque Christian School in addition to all the teachers and staff that are a part of there. Jamie is our liaison there, and Doug Salyer is our board member there. Ponderosa Christian Camp has three board members from here, Lee O'Rear, Tom Knowles, and Wade Randall. African Christian College, which we have had a long history with, has a board member, Joe Page. I'm sure I've missed somebody and then all the volunteers all the volunteers that make these ministries possible and so if you're one of those ministry leaders that I just listed could you stand for a moment If you, just stay standing. I want to, if you would extend a hand out to somebody who's close to you, I want to pray for these ministry leaders. God, we thank you so much for these leaders. These ones who are full of the Spirit. Full of your word. And I pray that you will continue to bless them and guide them in their work. That we will support them well. That we will volunteer when asked. That we will show up on time when scheduled. God, we thank you for who they are and what they do for this family and continue to inspire them. And God, we pray that you will continue to raise up new leaders that will continue the ministry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're going to be seated. Those are just our official ministries. So many of you are involved in so many other things that aren't even listed. 
involvement in Kairos ministry and a peaceful habitation and, and different things around the neighborhood, being involved in your kids' schools and being involved in other schools that aren't even your kids, different organizations, different boards, different ministries that are all serving the kingdom. And so thank you for the role that you play. Because we can't carry out this ministry and what God has called us into without each and every person taking on a significant role. Whether it's leadership or volunteering within these different ministries. Because none of these leaders can do what they do without you helping and serving. We need people in the kitchen. We need people in the nursery. We need people out in the foyer welcoming and greeting. It's all part of what we do together. So let's go ahead and be standing together. Luke just celebrates the church, celebrates what the Spirit is doing through these people that are gathered together. And we celebrate that today. And so I pray that as obstacles come up for people being included, that we will find ways to overcome those obstacles. That if there are threats, both inside and outside the church, we will address those in healthy, godly ways. And that where we see needs, we will quickly step in and fulfill those needs. I want to invite you to uh, pray at this time. You can pray as a family, pray with your life group. Uh, we'll have shepherds down front, and you can come pray with one of them. This is a time for us to encourage one another, to lift one another up, as we remind each other who we are and why we're gathered and who we serve. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for this community that you formed. We pray that you will continue to protect the unity of this body. And that where, where we see threats, we see opportunities to glorify you through the unity of your body. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.